Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 117. Now that our technical difficulties are over, we're live. <laughs> I have awesome. a feeling I'll be dealing with this for a little while until I just get all the bugs worked out, but it's coming along at least. Yeah, Jay's been setting up his new studio, so things are a little bit slower sometimes. To, it, it's so much fine-tuning that goes into these, uh, building out this. And by the way, we're not studio or production experts. We inadvertently have to learn this to produce this content where we bring to you. And uh, the content today specifically is going to be about the Raspberry Pi 5. Yep. I, I just started looking into it. So just uh, I always like to gauge where I'm at in the process, because obviously if, you know, just starting out with something is isn't as good as having used it for a long time. But I have more than enough information to convey some initial thoughts and talk about what's different this time around. And there's some things that I think some people will really want to pay attention to because buying a Raspberry Pi board by itself is just probably not going to work. And I'll explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there um there's I don't know. I haven't I haven't worn out my fours yet, so I haven't uh haven't decided on the five. I mean I don't I love the extra features it gets, but oh, I'll yeah. actually reference too and maybe I'll add it to the description. Jeff Gearling did a comparison of the Raspberry Pi five that is controversial, if you will. Um compared one of to the, the first points is, is from his video. I was just about to mention him as well. So oh perfect. So <laughs> yeah, if, I mean obviously if you search Raspberry Pi, you're also probably searching Jeff Gearling, or at least the autocomplete will force you to it <laughs> for good reason. Yeah. Jeff does a lot of great in-depth uh coverage on the Raspberry Pi five. So I, I think we should yeah we'll just link to his video as well because I think in addition to the things that I mentioned he'll kind of round the edges and go even yeah. deeper because he's been using it for far longer than I have. Absolutely. Um, we do not have a sponsor at the moment, but we do still have links down there for Linode, our previous sponsor, because there's still some help it gives out to the channel if you want to click on that. Any of the affiliate links you find in the descriptions of the videos on the channel, uh, those are always helpful. So we can actually jump right into the content, which I know people are happy. Like there's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, all right. So first of all, I'll have to admit, I wasn't very impressed when I first heard about it. Now, that was my fault. You know, that initial reaction versus having spent some time looking into it. Uh, this time was very different because at first, you know, it's quad core. There's a four gig version. There's an eight gig version. It uses an SD card for boot, gigabit Ethernet, USB three. So far, nothing sounds different. It sounds like the Raspberry Pi four again. So I actually thought that it was just a very small, you know, point release, if you will. I didn't realize until I dug deeper into it that this is anything but. This is actually big, just not, it's more in the lines of like obvious versus not obvious. So let's just start with the very basics and then we'll kind of build in and we'll see what's different this time around. So uh, first of all, $60 for the four gig version, US dollars for those of you that are here in our in the same country as us. Um, $80 for the eight gigabyte version. So it, it's practically um, very similar, maybe a little bit more. I don't see a two gig version though. So just yeah, throwing that out there. There's probably a low demand they got rid of those. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. So again, first of all, it looks about the same, but um, I, I watched Jeff Gearling's video and compared what he said to what Raspberry Pi is saying. Because Raspberry Pi is saying that this is two times faster than the four. Now, what's interesting, though, is Jeff Gearling says something different. He says that it's 2.5 times faster than the Pi 4. And Jeff is one of those people where, and if you know Jeff like we do, you'll know what I mean. 
if he goes against with a vendor saying, I'll go with Jeff Gearling every time, like, like he, he puts so many testing and he's the only person that I would rank higher than the vendor in, in most cases. So <laughs> if he says it's 2.5 times faster, I'll agree, but we'll get into the specs in a moment. I haven't done any benchmarking at this point. So I just want to throw that out there that I haven't yet had an opportunity to try to disprove him. But every time I ran the same or run the same test he does, I get the same results. So I'm going to have to say it's probably 2.5 times faster. Either way, even if it's just two times faster, that already kind of, you know, makes it worth looking into. So um, moving along here, let's in no particular order, I have a bunch of notes. So the CPU is the BCM 2712, 16 nanometer, nanometer, can't talk today, process. Um, and I'm just reading some of these notes right off the website just to get us started. Uh, 512 kilobyte per core level two cache, a shared two megabyte cache. Um, it integrates a, and again, I'm just reading a 12 core video core, seven GPU. And so there's a lot of new video features added to this. The original, or not original, but the previous one had, um, I believe it had um, H254. And um, I'm not sure about the H, HEVC. But anyway, this has a number of codecs built in, but I haven't yet tested it for this purpose because I haven't edited it on a Raspberry Pi. But I wouldn't think that that, would even as as good as this one uh, one is, I don't think I'll be editing on this one anytime soon. But anyway, they have their own processor, and specifically, it's a 2.4 gigahertz quad core, 64 bit ARM Cortex A76. That's a mouthful. The previous model was 1.8 gigahertz, so we're already um, even though both are quad core, the clock speed this time around is going to put it up above the previous one. But there's also, and this is another thing that's different, two four-lane transceivers built onto the board. Each one could be used for either a display or a camera. Two displays, two cameras, one of each, whatever you want to do, or just ignore it altogether if you're building something else. And this also means that if you have cables for the previous camera, you will need an adapter. So that's the first thing I'll mention about you'll need to buy some things because some of your old accessories may not work this time around. And that's the first one. If you have those old uh, cables, you'll need an adapter for that. So just throwing that out there. Now, one thing I want to comment on just about yep. the Raspberry Pi ecosystem is one of the things I think it's really drove a success is it, it's like a standardization platform. You right. have a very predictable device with predictable GPIO pins, predictable types of connectors that has an ecosystem around it. And from a software setup standpoint, they've done a nice job because the Raspberry Pi Imager lets you predictably, again, it's not x86 where we have to find different drivers for things. It's this platform that supports these services so we can easily flash it to be whatever we want. I think that's a just a really good selling point of what's made the Raspberry Pi so successful in the market. And well, I'll reference Jeff because he did a write-up on this because people say, but what about the banana pie, orange pie, other knockoffs, if you will? I don't know that knockoff is the right term. There are companies that copied yeah. it, but he pointed out right away, sometimes it's harder to find drivers or some of the changes for those right. until their ecosystems get developed. Uh, and for people writing software that you want to go, hey, I can tell you to image this to a SD card and it will absolutely boot and predictably work the way you expect it to on this model Raspberry Pi. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, one thing that hasn't changed is the networking chip. It, it's it's a gig network. I was hoping for 2.5. That would have been cool, but that's not what we have here. So 
if you're looking for faster networking, you'll be let down by this, or maybe not, because you'll have you know fewer things getting in your way because of all the other things being improved. It could be the case that if you had low network performance, if there was some other bottleneck, it could be the case that you'll have better network you know performance, but not because the network port is better, but just because there's fewer bottlenecks. So, um, but then again, if networking is extremely important to you, that could be something to keep in mind. Now. There is an accessory that you won't need. You can still use it, but you don't have to have it anymore. Remember those, um, they're like a power or USB-C adapter that has a power core or power button in the middle because the Raspberry Pi 4, you know, didn't have a power button. So if you, you didn't have a case with a power button, you have a cable that has a power button on it that disables or cuts power to the Pi. You can still use that, but there's no reason to because um, there's a real power button this time. Um, on the board, that, that's kind of cool, actually. So cool add on they there. Put a power button on there. I know it, it's like probably not the first thing I would have expected them to do, especially considering they didn't have to because the cases usually check that box. So it's kind of like something they didn't have to do, but they chose to do. But it's welcome, so definitely welcome. And according to Jeff Gearling, again, I've yet to do benchmarks. The micro SD slot is twice as fast. So if you are a bit I/O constrained. That could help. And also, if the SD card was your bottleneck while transferring files over the network, that could be an example of noticing better network performance without having a better chip. Now, continuing along, and I know this is kind of like just a, a blast of specs here because we're just going to talk about our opinions on what this all means after I go through this spiel. Um, there's the RP1 chip, which is built into the Pi, uh, the Pi 5. And what they did was they decided to put all the faster stuff on it, essentially the things that need speed. So first of all, and this is probably the thing that's going to raise more, more eyebrows and things that I've mentioned before, there's a four lane PCI 2.0 endpoint in this chip. So um, I'm not sure what all we could do with that yet because I have yet to try out those accessories, but just being able to say PCIe and Raspberry Pi 5 on, in the same sentence without it being like a case or some kind of attachment, that's pretty cool. Uh, the USB 3 controller is part of it, is on this board, or excuse me, part of this chip. And each one of these controllers has a USB 3 and a USB 2 port on it. So kind of similar, but it's on its own chip now. And it also, and this, and by the way, this is not used on the Raspberry Pi 5, but it's there, I guess, for future use, maybe. It has support for EMMC on this chip, but there is not EMMC on the Pi 5. So I don't want anyone to think that there is, but it's basically for future use, but I'm not really sure what it's for. Maybe um, compute modules or something like that will utilize this. I'm not really sure, but it's part of the chip anyway. So it's there for whatever they decide to use it for. Uh, there's a three-channel video DAC built in. And uh, let's see, what else? other notes? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot more about the RP1 chip, but this would be kind of dry if I just started reading, you know, a page full of specs on this. I think that's pretty much the highlights there, especially the PCIe support with the PCIe 2.0 endpoint. That's going to be... It's going to be interesting to see what people do with that. 
I'll just I, say that. And I think one of the interesting ones, and I've seen a few people talk about doing this because Frigate is popular for object recognition if you have the Coral TPU. And now the PCIe will let you integrate that with a Coral TPU and a Raspberry Pi. I've seen a few people do videos on it. It's not something I've tested myself. I think Jeff Gearling tested the beta version of it when it was first released last late last year. And mm -hmm. uh, that's an interesting use case is being able to plug that in like that. And now we get to talk about the accessories. And I think this is kind of something a lot of people want to pay special attention to because some things have changed and it's important to know about these things. So especially if you're planning on upgrading. Now, I already mentioned the adapter that's going to, going to be needed if you have like, you know, the older display camera cables lying around. I have a number of them myself, so I have to source this adapter myself. Um, so aside from that, you will need a new power supply. I'm just putting that out there. Buy the one that they sell because the Mac, the peak power consumption for the Pi 5 has increased to 12 watts. And I believe the previous one had a peak of 8 watts. And the thing is, if you, plug, if you use a previous generation USB-C power cord, it will work, but it's going to downclock it. Okay, I want to underscore this. If you use the original power cord or something you have lying around that doesn't have the right wattage, you're going to have a slower experience because it needs more power to run all these components. There's like a built-in power controller. I mean, they did a lot of work on this. So if you don't want it to run in legacy mode, I'll just say that. So buy the power supply. I'm sure there's going to be some on um, you know Amazon that'll uh, fit the bill, but essentially they have a, um, it looks like a 12 watt power supply that you can buy. And it's, it's funny because I, I noticed mine was running faster, but until I dived in, I didn't know about this. So even I was not getting my full performance out of mine uh, since I've had it. So I plan on installing that new power supply today. In fact, I'm going to be showing them off in the video. I have all the accessories. I'm showing it on camera for the people that are you know listening in the car or whatever, uh, hopefully safely. But that, yeah, dedicated power supply. <laughs> Um, for that. So you're definitely going to want to buy the power supply. Don't skimp on that. You, you, you'll regret it. So basically, according to my notes, the way this works, and this is reading directly from their notes from Raspberry Pi, if the Pi 5 firmware detects that the power supply is the older style, it's going to, or the newer one rather, if it detects that you have the appropriate wattage, it's going to increase the USB power current. So you're going to get that extra performance. And that's just going to be a lot better. So you don't want it in low power mode. Now, this was probably true with the Pi 4, but it's really true now. You need some sort of a cooler, okay? You're, you're just going to. It, I mean, with all this power, you know, the clock speed is higher. Um, it uses more, um, more energy. So you're going to need a cooler. You can't get away without it anymore. So they, a Raspberry Pi sells a $5 active cooler that you could buy with uh, if you were to go to order one. And of course, that's something I'll be showing off in the video because I ordered a few of those as well. So um, new case, there's a new case that fits the active cooler. So you don't need it. Well, I haven't tried older cases with it. It's not astronomically different, but considering the new um, cooling requirements, I would, I would be surprised if all the older cases fit this one. So you'll definitely need some new accessories with the Pi 5. Now, going further on the accessories here, there's some things that are not out yet that I'm looking forward to. 
natively the power over ethernet hat is not available right now um there is a power over ethernet header on the board but um as last time i checked which was you know last week it wasn't out yet but they're saying early 2024 it's currently early 2024 so <laughs> I, I hope that means any time but they're going to have an official power over ethernet hat available and what's even more interesting another accessory that doesn't exist today is the m2 hat which will give you access to nvme storage on the pi that's an official accessory that's coming also earmarked for early 2024 so I guess I read that to say pretty much any time now. So it'll be also interesting to see what people do with that. But I can't re really comment on that because I have yet to get my hands on it, but I can't wait. Yeah, I see uh, people in the comments talking about the POE hats. There's an alternative you can look at as well. You can find these cheaply on Amazon. They're little POE to USB devices. Mm -hmm. uh, they will pass the networking through so you can take a network cable and split them off. I've been a fan of these because the problem I've had, and I think even uh, there's been several problems people reported with the PoE hats on the Raspberry right. Pi 4. Obviously, without the five ones being out, we don't know uh, where they had trouble with wattage delivery. But when you're using an external one, you also solve the problem of finding one that fits the case you may have for your Raspberry Pi. Uh, it's also kind of novel if you have other random things you want to power over USB. Uh, it, that would work that way. <laughs> so uh, being a PoE splitter, it, it POE switches are actually relatively inexpensive now, and they seem to keep getting less and less expensive. So being able to power things off those little uh, splitters, those are great. Just find those little inline adapters and uh, mm -hmm. on Amazon. I don't think they're that much money, maybe like 10. They, they cost as much as maybe an adapter for uh, a wall adapter, but now you're driving it with POE. I actually have a bigger POE switch yeah. I'm installing, so I can do more of that because of the convenience of it. <laughs> Another thing I want to, I'll get back to that part in a moment because there's more to say about that, but there's actually a you know, the power management or power monitoring monitoring on the board itself. There's a command that you can actually read a bunch of information that I'm going to show in the video, which I actually you know saw in Jeff's video. So I'll, of course credit him for that. But that that's pretty cool. Um, and he also says there's a seven second boot on on his Raspberry Pi Five, which is pretty cool. Um, that's that's a lot faster. And he also says, and I haven't tested this personally, 45 times faster cryptography. So that's pretty crazy. So, you know, now you might be able to understand what I meant when I said at first it doesn't look like it's all that different, right? It's still quad core. It's still four or eight gigabytes of, of memory. Same number of ports for the most part. There's some variations here. But at first I'm like, okay, that's that's decent, I guess. But when you really look through everything that, that they're doing here, I mean, it's just kind of, crazy to see how much they've they've added on but and i want to comment on those crypto accelerators so yeah. i'm finishing up my review right now on a neck 4200 i've been using it for a while and if you did a benchmark like you looked at the cpu mark of my previous router versus this router you're like oh wait cpus are only a few percentage like if you look at those cpu benchmarking ones but when you look at the vpn performance i'm getting from one to the other it's night and day because those crypto accelerators having specialization on these chips goes a long way and the kernels are getting more and more advanced at taking advantage of it. So these can be extremely game changing in terms of their ability to get the task at hand done, uh, especially that crypto acceleration, man, if you're working on something on a VPN that uses that suddenly now you're going to have better VPN performance. That's going to really uh, step it up. 
Yep. And and my, there's already some comments asking, you know, does does this compete with the Zima board? Um, another comment, rightfully so, brings up the fact that that's x86. But I think that's a good question to kind of at least take a look at, because even if you're not comparing it to that, someone's comparing it to something else. Yeah. The interesting thing about the Raspberry Pi is that it's not really competitive. And I don't mean that in a way that it sucks. I mean that in the, in the way that they're not overly trying to defeat anything else in the market. They kind of move slower. It's almost like, you know, you have the rock chips and all these others that Raspberry Pi is almost like the enterprise equivalent. Now, I don't mean enterprise like you're going to run your entire company off of it, but the enterprise moves a bit slower, tried and true. The Raspberry Pi usually has like one model at a time that is more general purpose and, and might excel ex at some things and not others, but is more general across the board. And then you have some of these other products out there that that are literally competing with the Raspberry Pi. I feel like Raspberry Pi isn't competing with them, but everyone's competing with the Raspberry Pi. So they're more setting a standard for the long term. I mean, we could have the Raspberry Pi 5 for uh, several years. And of course, other companies are going to make things that will perform faster, might have some features that it doesn't have. The Raspberry Pi is more about, you know, they have their own baseline and they have their community and they serve that community. But if you need something with more horsepower, you might take a look at something else. And even Jeff Gearling said this. I think he said there was some ways and check his video to be sure. But I'm pretty sure he mentioned there's some ways in which the rock chip is going to outperform this even still. With yeah. this new version. So and when it comes to home lab wanting to squeeze out the most performance, absolutely you're gonna be able to find some other devices that may be able to mm -hmm. outperform it from a business standpoint. And we have a customer, I think they have 300 Raspberry Pis. <laughs> wow. Um, when we've done some projects with these clients, they're special specialized tooling that needs to be dynamic enough to have these. So this client has a lot of Raspberry Pis that are all running Linux to do special applications. And they like them because it just works really well. Yep. And that back to what I said earlier, that consistency. I know the product. I, I have a predictable outcome for it. I can get a lot of the same product. Um, I can't remember if they're threes or fours the client has there. And they're, it's not even on a roadmap to buy the fives. You're like, we don't need them. This covers what we need to do it's predictable we have spares <laughs> and, and if one goes bad we can just you know grab the sd card or reflash it or i think they actually have a, an automation script that'll reload we can reload on it i, I don't manage that side uh, we have a couple texts that do and uh, it's just a neat idea to be able to do these it runs some screens for them and uh, displays a lot of data so it's really i i do see them kind of like you said in that enterprise market space because of yep. that standardization and mass production versus the problem with some of the other ones is if there's something newer, they quit one production line and swap it out to another one very quickly. You can still find Raspberry Pi 4s available, and they will be available for a while before the Raspberry Pi 5 takes over. Yeah, I think that's a good point, because just like the enterprise, if, if a company is building products around the Raspberry Pi, they're probably not going to upgrade to the Pi 5 for now, unless there's like a huge reason, because... Obviously, when a company has a product and it works, it checks all the boxes, it performs the way that they need it to, um, there's really no need to go to the next version. They might potentially phase that one out over time. But just like you said, they still make the older versions. So if a company is standardizing on a previous Pi, they can continue to do so. Um, and it wouldn't even be that abnormal for a company to just standardize on um, whatever the previous model of the Pi was, just for you know that extra battle-tested um, use in the community. 
So that could be something that we'll see more and more of. But I want to go back to the whole wake on land thing. Um, ah. Power over Ethernet thing. I think I just gave away something I was about to say on. Whoops. Uh, spoiler. <laughs> so there is not currently, but according to Jeff, there should be a way to do wake on land. Now, today you cannot. But um, according to him, the firmware is the only thing stopping you. So the board can do it, but the firmware won't. So assuming that there's a firmware update in the future, you'll be able to do wake on land, which is, um, it might not sound like a big deal, just plug it in, if, especially if it's power over ethernet, but it'd be really, I mean, think of a Kubernetes cluster where you could actually have like 10 nodes, only have five active. And then as the load increases, wake on land additional uh, Raspberry Pis. Already you're saving a lot of power by running a cluster on Raspberry Pi, which is one of the reasons why you might want to do that. But you're, you're saving power by only having the ones online that you actually plan on using. So you can per, potentially, if they allow this, have some kind of a scaling feature, which would be pretty cool. And that might be something that would be a lot of fun to dive into, assuming we get that firmware update. But Wake on LAN, um, I think there was someone in the comments that might not have understood the purpose, but it's not for everyone. Um, I meant to say power over Ethernet. Here I am getting the oh. two confused. I'm sorry. Power over Ethernet. So um, I really, really like it. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that you have to have a use case for, but I really don't like a lot of cables all over the place. If you if you only have one Pi, you could argue there's really not much of a use case for that because so what? You have two cables attached to it. Uh, one, if you're using Wi-Fi. That's not really that big of a deal, but having power over Ethernet just means that you don't have to have a, a, a an ocean of cables if you have more than one of these, which is novel. You are paying extra for that privilege, though, so it has to be the cable management has to be worth it for you. But if you have a home lab that's consisting of Raspberry Pis, especially if you want to save on your power bill, there's additional options that this can unlock for automation. And I mean, just imagine Home Assistant, for example, being able to press a button and then a Raspberry Pi comes online. I mean, things like that would be possible with something like this. So there's more use cases that you could throw at the Raspberry Pi 5. But then again, there's nothing that's going to be so amazing that everything else just ceases to exist. You still want to check the competition, competition in air quotes, obviously, and see what's being offered here. But I was very surprised when I started looking deeper into the Raspberry Pi 5 that my initial opinion based on the news was totally inaccurate. And I'm really excited about this platform. Yeah, I'll, I'll come back to the Zima board. One of the things about the Zima board that I think is neat is the fact that it is x86 and it has a PCIe slot. So how does it compare? Mm -hmm. It's not exactly a comparison because they're two different platforms. But myself, right. one thing I really like, and I did a demo with the Zima board on my channel where I show it running TrueNAS. And that's something you're not going to be able to do on a Pi, not right. TrueNAS because they don't have an ARM compilation. Being that it's x86, though, there's Zima board. Uh, my friends over at Two Guys Tech did run perfectly fine PFC sense on there and having that PCA slot allows you to slot in another network card and kind of expand out from there to build yourself actually a reasonable router or what I think it's really fun for 
is kind of like they say, the hackable system, it becomes this kind of breadboard to experiment with things. When I do my getting started with PF Sense video, I might even do it on the Zima board just for fun because it's kind of nice to show that you can plug the cards in like that. I think that's a really cool feature. That's the one downside is once you go into the ARM, whether it's the rock chips or the Raspberry Pis or all the variations, once you're in that ecosystem, it's not that you limit yourself too much, but you will run into things that just don't work on ARM because there's not compilations for ARM. They have not been ported. Uh, so there's still some advantage to this long tail of popular software, TrueNAS and PFSense being a couple of them, OpenSense for those of you that want to use that. Those are all going to be x86 hardware, not ARM hardware. Do you think the fact that TrueNAS scale is based on Linux makes it more or possibly already capable of running on a Pi? Because I think that was a BSD problem, wasn't it? Or no, the challenge is going to be this. This is where things get tricky. And this is uh, when you want to build your NAS and you start looking for adapter cards. You go, wait, who's writing the drivers for all these cards right. to get them to work? So it, you have that as a challenge. Um, as far as I know, you can do ZFS on ARM. I don't really know how well it works. I don't know how much optimization goes into ZFS on ARM. I'm assuming it works. I've not really tested it. But right away you go. You, you start running into a challenge of, oh, wait, I don't have a driver for my uh, card that controls all the drives for it. So the controller card drivers can immediately become, you know, maybe an issue, maybe not as well supported. Yep. Yep. That that makes a, a lot of sense. So one I want to throw out a, a mention for Open Media Vault because, you know, we're talking about yeah, that does have an option for that. Yep. Yeah, we were yeah, we're talking about TrueNAS. So while you might not be able to do that, I'm sure somebody, you know, out there is like, hold my coffee, I'll show you. I'm gonna do that. And if you do, let us know. But I think that with Open Media Vault, you can still have a NAS and it's a pretty good solution as well. So by no means are we saying you can't have a NAS and a Raspberry Pi 5. You could use Open Media Vault, you could just install Raspbian or Raspberry Pi OS as it's called now, and you know, hand roll your own by you know, customizing all the config files, you can go crazy. So you could absolutely have a NAS. But um, there's just, like Tom said, some applications that are, you know, systems that won't run on this. One example of this is if you do run a Kubernetes cluster on ARM, you will need to get container images that work on ARM. If the yep. container image only works with x86, it won't work here. But thankfully, linuxserver.io has all kinds of container images that work on ARM. So as long as you're pulling from them, you shouldn't really be impacted by that. But if you try to get your container images from other registries, you might run into a problem where they won't run on the on the Pi. However, another trick to this is you could have a Pi cluster and then have like on Proxmox or something, maybe one or two x86 nodes for those containers to run on. That's a, a potential workaround here. But so far, I haven't run in anything on um, LinuxServer.io that didn't work on ARM. So, you know. Yeah, there's a massive amount of things compiled for ARM now. And ARM's really, it, it's kind of surprising for how little power they use and the speed that you get out of the applications that run on there. I would say that that's kind of what's driving it because sometimes you go oh, for the equivalent wattage and this is what's making some of those arms popular. Like we get quite a bit of performance per watt um, out of there. So the pricing may be the same, but your performance per watts may not line up exactly the same. I would even go as far as to say, consider LinuxServer.io first and then if they don't have it, then go to another registry because I don't know about you. I just don't feel confident about a registry with like, I don't know how many. I'm just going to 
make a random number guess let's say millions of container images i mean who has time to go through all those and, and vet those but linuxserver.io this is literally what they do like that's their entire thing they you know they curate all of these images and i would trust that before i would trust um, any other registry so um, i can't speak highly of linuxserver.io enough it, it's my number one resource and Lately, I don't think I've had to go outside of their registry in like over a year. So that's a, yeah. a pretty good sign. So they, they do a solid uh, job on there. Oh, they really do. So I know that was like a blast of information, um, but the Raspberry Pi being such a important thing to the podcast, because we talk about it a lot and some people run their home labs on this, it's kind of worth knowing, is this something that someone might want to upgrade to? Or stay with what they have. Maybe something that I mentioned will be the thing that someone needed to really take their home lab to the next level. Or maybe it doesn't really impact another person and they're happy with what they have. But I really think that it's just amazing to see this platform evolve. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do next. But for right now, we have the Raspberry Pi 5. And I can't wait to see how emulators run on this. Yeah, that's just a guilty pleasure. Like if like I'm just hoping it could handle Dreamcast. If it can, then I'm just going to be like um, on cloud nine. But I'm not going to say that it can yet. That's a heavy ask. But you never know. Maybe it can. But yep. that's a whole nother podcast potentially talking about. Yeah, I seen someone ask. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about Linux server .io. Yep. Linux server .io is the the mecca for container images. Definitely highly recommended. So, is it? Is his handle Ironic Badger? I'm trying to yep. remember the Alex. Yep, Alex. Yep, great guy. Yeah, he's awesome. He. Yeah. Yep. He's he's a great guy. Um, he invited me over to the uh, Red Hat building for lunch just before Red Hat turned evil, um, <laughs> which was kind of cool to go in there and, and and see that for the first time. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a very very awesome resource for these kinds of things. So uh, well, he's definitely part of Linux IO. He's one of the founders. Yep. And his self-hosted podcast is pretty good too. So yep. it's um, in the same wheelhouse as what we talk about. So honestly, probably watch both. So oh, absolutely. listen to both. Um, so already, I, I can't wait to hear what people are doing with Raspberry Pis. I feel like we don't get enough feedback on this. Like sometimes it's, you know, you could ask a question and I want to do a Q&A episode. It'd be really cool. So please ask your questions. So I'd really appreciate that. But in addition to that, even if you don't have a question, if you're doing something really cool with your Raspberry Pi, I would really like to just talk about some of these creations. Oh, yeah. Um, Send us feedback at yeah. the show. If you have a cool Raspberry Pi project, um, there's there's one I've covered before. Uh, I have a short on it, really. But it's I have a Raspberry Pi Zero. That actually wrote, one's my e-ink display for uh, my YouTube stuff. I've talked about it before on my channel. It sits behind me in my videos. Uh, it looks someone thought it was an actual, like, a plaque I made like, how does that get updated? I'm like, Oh, it's a raspberry Pi zero uh, glued to the back of a picture frame with an e-ink in the picture frame e-ink display. So <laughs> that, that's been on my list of things to make for like two years now. And I haven't gotten around to it. I do have an extra Pi zero. So maybe now's the time to actually do it. Yeah. I e-ink displays uh, is probably my favorite use of the GPIO. Uh, stuff on the Raspberry Pis, they're, mm -hmm. they're just kind of novel. Um, it's yep. it reminds me of some one of the things I do want to order. I have an extra Pi Zero, and I want to uh, build a badge out of it. There's a couple different badge options, so when I go to a conference, I can be nerdier than I usually am by having a e ink badge that changes. <laughs> it, it, some of the applications for Raspberry Pi are just so amazing. Sometimes it 
like an idea could be so simple but so effective. I remember, I think it was around the time the Raspberry Pi first came out. So I think we're talking about the one or, or something. I, I mean, maybe the two, I don't remember. But I was, it was before I went on my own. So I was working for a company and they were going to throw out this, you know, pretty nice HP LaserJet printer. They were throwing it out or putting it um, in recycling because um, it didn't support any modern version of Windows. Like HP just had wanted nothing to do with writing a driver for it. But they did write a driver for Linux, though, um, which is interesting, right? Because Linux had a driver, Windows didn't. So I took the printer, which is useless to anyone at that company since they all ran Windows. I plugged it into a Raspberry Pi, installed the HP driver, and made a wireless print server. So this old LaserJet printer is now a wireless printer in my network, <laughs> and that's what I used for a long time. And considering I only, I don't know, print maybe 10 or 15 pages a week, and I think the toner had a yield of 2,000 pages, I had a feeling that I would run out of printer before I ran out of toner. And that's exactly what happened. I just used it right into the ground and never had to buy a single toner cartridge for it. So, and that was thanks to the Raspberry Pi. And that was probably the very first thing I ever did with the Raspberry Pi where it became something uh, within the wheelhouse of my productivity. So, and that's a simple use case. And, and lots of people have done this. It's not unique to me. I mean, probably thousands of people have done this, but Something as simple as that or, you know, making a pet cam could be fun. Having a desktop. I mean, I think a Raspberry Pi 5 would be a way better experience for desktop computing than the previous version with the extra performance. So there's definitely a lot to use it for. But if you use it for something really cool, you got to let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Send it to feedback at the homelab.show. Yep. All right. That was the Raspberry Pi 5. Thank mm -hmm. you all for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time.